0: This is Law for Community Workers on the Go, a podcast for community and health workers. In today's episode, Joshua Scotland from the Community Legal Education Branch speaks to two solicitors from Legal Aid New South Wales Civil Law Service for Aboriginal Communities, Tila Reid and Marinda Dutton. Teela and Marinda talk about the Stolen Generations Reparation Scheme and other options members of the Stolen Generations may have to get compensation. They also explore other legal issues that can come up and talk about the importance of giving trauma-informed legal advice. We will also hear excerpts from a video produced by Legal Aid Wales, in which staff share their experiences of the Stolen Generations and acknowledge the profound resilience and strength of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So thanks for having me uh, on the podcast, Josh.
1: Um, We're airing this from Dubbo, Wiradjuri country. It's really great to be back. We've just had a week out here um, on country. It's my country, so it's awesome to be recording this from Wiradjuri country.
0: This podcast was recorded on both Wiradjuri and Gadigal land, and we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We would also like to extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people, and in particular any members of the Stolen Generations, who may be listening.
2: It's important to acknowledge that there are very few Aboriginal people who haven't been in some way affected by the Stolen Generations. and the trauma that the practices of removal of aboriginal children from their families has had on aboriginal communities and people even generations later and i think in that context it's important to acknowledge that this episode might be bring up a lot of things it might be triggering and it might be difficult to listen to and in that context it's really just important to take care of yourself. Some options could be to contact the local Aboriginal medical service, link up, or to just speak to a family member or a friend that can help and support you. I'm from Grafton. I'm a lawyer in the civil law service for Aboriginal communities. So within my family, on both sides, there's a history of experiences with the stolen generation. My dad was taken as a baby when he was six months old and the Aboriginal Welfare Board tried to get his mother to consent to having him adopted out and she refused, but he was adopted out anyway without her consent. He did return home to Wilkenya and meet some of his family when he turned 18. Uh, But by the time he was able to get back there, his dad had already passed away. He didn't have that experience growing up with his family. And so you kind of spend the rest of your life playing catch up. And then on my mum's side, I have great aunties and uncles who were taken and actually the family never saw them again. They were actually got sent to America with a family, so we don't know what happened to them at all.
1: First, Tila, can I ask you to explain a little bit about the history of Aboriginal people being removed in New South Wales? Under the Aborigines Protection Act that existed between 1909 and 1969, the Aborigines Protection Board and its successor, the Aborigines Welfare Board, had wide-ranging control over the lives of Aboriginal people. So during that period of time, Aboriginal children were removed from their families and then placed into care. The removal of Aboriginal children in New South Wales occurred firstly under the policy of protection and then from 1937 under an official policy of assimilation. The policy aimed to integrate Aboriginal people into the wider population and what we're finding, although the scheme is limited to the Aborigines Protection Act, there are um, a lot of Aboriginal people who were also removed under the Child Welfare Department. It means a lot of the stolen generations are falling outside the scheme. Both the AWB and the CWB, or D, um, had the same objective, and that was essentially to remove children, to protect children, and to assimilate Aboriginal children.
0: Disaster recovery centres are designed to be a one-stop shop, offering information and support to help people rebuild after fires or other natural disasters. A range of services can be accessed at these centres, including disaster welfare, mental health services, legal advice, Centrelink and much more. They are warm and inviting places, welcoming and helping people affected by these disasters. Children are welcomed in the centres, play areas are provided, allowing parents to talk to specialist services without interruption. Free tea and coffee facilities are available and care packages may be provided depending on your circumstances. Recovery centres remain open for as long as people need to access them. This may be weeks or months. After this time, the services at these centres can all be accessed through Service New South Wales. From my time at these centres, the message is clear. Just come in and have a chat with us. Did you want to just introduce yourself and tell us where we are right now?
3: Hi, my name's Steve Picton and I'm currently the centre manager for the Batemans Bay Disaster Recovery Centre.
1: Yes, thanks Jessica. Um, My name's Noel Boys. I'm the uh, Bushfire Recovery Centre, manager here at Ulladulla Civic Centre.
0: And what does the Disaster Recovery Centre look like?
3: We're actually located in one of the service clubs in Batemans Bay and we've occupied their auditorium and all of their meeting rooms on the second floor. So the reason we've chosen this venue is because of its size and location. We have over 20 service agencies stationed here, in purpose built booths.
0: If somebody walks in and they have been affected by um, a disaster, at the moment it's the bushfires on the south coast but it could be a disaster anywhere across New South Wales, what's the process at the moment when they walk in the, the door?
1: What we do, when you come in you'll be greeted by the Red Cross ladies, Who will then arrange for you to have a registration? So we sit down and we take some details of yourself, how you were affected by the bushfires, and then at the end of that registration, it's all filed and processed. And then we look at the ways we can help you and the agencies we can send you so you can get support.
0: We initially started recording this podcast on the 25th of March 2020. Since that date, there have been further announcements and changes made to Centrelink services. So today is the 27th of March 2020, and we will talk you through a summary of all the changes that have been happening over this last week. We will then discuss the arrangements currently in place for people already receiving a Centrelink payment and the arrangements for those who are now looking to apply for Centrelink payments. Uh, Welcome, Nicola. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Jess. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. I guess let's just jump straight in.
2: Absolutely. Um, What I might just say up front, though, is that we know that this is a pretty fluid situation and changes are happening on an almost daily basis, including changes to do with Centrelink payments and requirements. Um, So the best, most up-to-date source of information continues to be the Centrelink website, which reflects all of these changes. They do have a dedicated COVID-19 page on their website and we will link to that um, in the material that goes out with the podcast. If you're helping clients or speaking with clients who are affected by these measures, I think it's really important to take a look at the Centrelink website when you're speaking with them just to check that you have the most up-to-date information
4: clients came okay, refugee visa. it's really hard uh, who they flee this uh, flee the war uh, and then going to second country uh, and they they have zero rights there and then coming to this country new country with different languages, different culture and laws to access those rights. So what makes me join this team and apply for this role is just to help the people to, to know their rights and put it in the simple way this is this is like put it in the way they understand what does that mean?
0: How valuable has Nahara's personal experience been for the team? Invaluable. Yeah. Um I think we were really lucky um to
4: to find Nahara because her Lived experience and advice around many different aspects of service delivery um, has really helped to inform the way we do our work and really tailor it so that hopefully we're hitting the right mark. And again, because Nahara's experience is fairly recent, that's helped to make sure that the way we deliver service is on point and also. Just um, the fact that Nahara's background and her language gives us that, well, not instant, but at least the trust that can be created is a lot faster. And people, I think, are more willing to connect with us because of having someone like Nahara in our team.
0: Nahara, do you want to start us off with a story of a client that you've been able to help.
4: So sometimes clients come to us, to us they have a comment regarding uh, one legal issue, but through the law checkup, we, we ask multiple questions about if they have any other legal issues that they're not aware of, um, or even they don't know it's, it's actually a legal problem. So one of the community events that we had, I was trying to... To like start a conversation with a client and she said, no no i don't have any legal issues it's like do you drive i said yes I said, do you get fines <laughs> have you ever get fined she said yeah my, many times so like see this is this is a legal issue so the law checkup help us to start the conversation and even during the appointments to to go through all those other
0: areas The Law Checkup, which you can hear Nahara mentioning, is a program or a tool where community workers can identify legal issues that their clients may have. If you want more information about the Law Checkup or to book a session for us to come out and train your workers on the tool and how to do a Law Checkup, there's information in the show notes and we also have a podcast coming out soon about the Law Checkup. So Kerry, what's the key message you'd like to leave our listeners with?
3: We really want community and health workers to understand that they have a really important role when it comes to getting people to legal services. One of the things that the Law and Justice Foundation Law Survey identified is that many people don't talk to lawyers about their legal problems. I think they found that only 16% of the 20,000 people that they spoke to who had legal problems would talk to a lawyer. The first people that they generally talk to is is a community or health worker. So one of the key messages, how important it is for them to help their clients, first of all, identify that they've got legal problems, but also get them in touch with us and let them know that there are free legal services available in their local communities, that people don't have to put up with legal problems, that there's ways to explore and find solutions to those legal problems. So what we always say in our training is that, Your clients trust you and they trust your referrals and that's why we really want to work in partnership with community and health service providers across New South Wales. Okay,
0: great. Well, thanks, Kerry. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I will also just mention before we go that in addition to this podcast, we have a recorded webinar about the Law Checkup that is available on the Legal Aid New South Wales YouTube page and there you can also find a large range of other recorded webinars. The links to everything that we've mentioned in today's episode will be in the show notes below. So if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share it with your colleagues. And if there is a topic you would like us to do an episode on, please get in touch. We would love to hear from you. So until next time, thank you so much from all of us here at the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales.